the Construction Employers Podcast, your connection to what's happening in the Northeast Ohio construction industry. Brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Today's guest is Daniel Lettenberger Klein, CEO of Stella Maris. Thank you for coming, Daniel. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, uh, also with us is Myra Rosario, our communications team leader. Hey, grateful to be here as well. And it's Friday, December 16th. I turned 46 today. Happy so, birthday. Thank you. Oh Happy birthday. <laughs> okay, That's so incredible. let's do an applaud. Yeah. <laughs> Fake applaud. <All> right. um, <laughs> but Daniel, I saw you a couple of days ago at our mm-hmm. annual members holiday social and uh, the future executives committee here organized a charity raffle and raffled off, I think 10 or so baskets and uh, actually have a envelope for you today. Ah, thank you so much from that. They did a great job. Here you uh, go. Thank you very much. Truly means a lot. Um, but you and I met, wait a minute, wait a minute. What's in the envelope? Well, everybody knows what's in an envelope. Yeah. Do you want me to open it? Well, no, uh, tell us more. Well, what if people don't know? What it's it, a donation. Okay, it's a donation. Yeah, okay, yes. yeah it's incredible and, and transformational for our campus. Our relationship with the, the unions and the construction employers has been longstanding. So it's been, um, to be recognized this way is a, a huge honor for Stella Maris. Thank you. We're proud to do so. Uh, so I was going to say, you and I met a little over a year ago in August, I think. Yeah. 2021, when we were starting out with Leadership Cleveland last year. Yeah. It was an incredible experience. And you were the first person, first classmate I met. So yeah. I appreciate you reaching out. Um, and you moved to Cleveland in what, 2018 or 19? Yeah, 20, January of 2019 is right when I got here. I started at Stella Maris in January. Okay. Mm-hmm. So good timing, huh? right before coronavirus shut everything uh, down. Yeah, absolutely. I, uh, <laughs> it, it was an interesting uh, few years, especially in the behavioral health world. So Yeah, and so you moved. Are you married? I am married. I have three kids. Mm -hmm. I've got twin five-year-olds and a three-year-old. Nice. And uh, married for about 10 years and came from Atlanta most recently, but originally from Chicago. Okay. Myra has twins. Yes. I didn't want to jump in, but thank you, Tim. (laughs) You're right. I am mom of twins. So yes, they are nine years old. Oh, that's wonderful. Boy, girl. Two boys. Okay. Mm -hmm. Very good. Identical girls. Oh, okay. Okay. That's cool. Yeah. Busy. Mm. So from Chicago by way of Atlanta, mm-hmm. um, and you moved here in 2019, uh, where did you come from? So, uh, work-wise? Yeah. Or, yeah. Um, so I actually, this is my first time being in executive leadership in the nonprofit sector. I actually came from the for-profit behavioral health world, private equity-backed um, organizations. Um, most recently, I worked for an organization called Rivermend Health, which was um, private equity-backed, uh, eating disorder, mental health, substance abuse across Arizona, Chicago, all across Georgia. My job there, I, I oversaw the the Georgia region. So we had every level of care, uh, mostly private insurance, um, mostly kind of that uh, failure to launch generation of oh. kids who were still on their parents' insurance uh, yeah. showing up and, um, in Atlanta and Augusta. So I did a good amount of traveling. And before that, uh, worked for an organization called Pray Some Healthcare that would do um, kind of pop-up detoxes. So we would open up, I think at the time I was there, we had seven detoxes from New Jersey uh, to Georgia, which I had helped open, and then Florida. So my job was to work in the Southeast region, uh, coordinating the detoxes and overseeing the clinical services. I'm a marriage and family therapist by training. 
And yeah. So, um, had no idea what I was doing, but figured it out. <laughs> and, um, and before that I actually had been in the nonprofit sector as a family therapist, um, and in-home therapist for open uh, department of children and families cases in Florida. We were in Tallahassee for three years after okay. being at Purdue. So all over the place, but yeah. And you got your master of science in uh, therapy from Purdue. Yes. I have, uh, um, I went to Bradley university in Peoria, Illinois for a bachelor's of science and a master's of science in marriage and family therapy from Purdue and then MBA from North central, which is where my, the university, my, my wife used to work for. Now. And that's in San Diego. Yeah. Is that where you met? No, no, we met at Purdue um, okay. in graduate school, but um, it's, it's actually a really interesting school. It's called national university. Now it's merged, uh, which is still based in California. Um, but it was the, the, first online accredited doctoral program in the country for marriage and family therapy. So she's been remote for eight years Wow, pre pandemic. So she really was able to weather that pretty well. That's great. Mm -hmm. Nice. Well, you're both trained and licensed marriage and family therapists who wins in an argument. I, I, <laughs> I don't know that I've ever won, uh, nor do I know that I would want to. Yeah, no, I, you know, it's, it's not, not worth safe. it. Not safe. <laughs> All right. Well, tell us about uh, Stella Maris. What does Stella Maris actually mean? Uh, well, Stella Ma Maris means star of the sea, uh, which translates from the religious backing to you know, Mary being the star of the sea, the beacon of hope. Um, and so the name for Stella Maris, we, we opened our doors in 1948. Um, there were seven members of the AA community, which was just getting off the, it had started in 1935 AA in Akron. Okay. So really? we're very tied to the roots of AA in the region. The state has a rich history. Um, and so it was started with seven members of the AA community and the associate pastor from St. Malachy church, right in Ohio city in the right. flats on um, West 25th. And they bought this um, rundown house uh, and opened it with 11 beds for men um, who were either homeless, kind of walking the street, or longshoremen coming off the boats um, mm. in between um, trips. And they'd walk up Main Avenue and Washington Avenue, going and hitting all the bars, and then they'd dry out at Stella Maris and get back on the boat for work. Mm -hmm. uh, so since 1948, our job has been to get people back to work. Um, but... Uh, so Star of the Sea really came from Otis Winchester, Father, Father Otis Winchester, who was the associate pastor at St. Malachy, because the original orientation of St. Malachy, um, before it burned down, I think in 46 or 47, it was facing the water. So currently it faces West 25th, and you can see at night they have that neon green cross at the right. top of the church. Well, it used to face the water so that the people, the longshoremen, could see where the church was wow. and from the water coming yes. in. And so star of the sea always was at least in early articles that I've read about it, it was meant to be the light from the cross. that was lit at the top of the church in the old orientation so that the sailors would know where to go when they came in yeah. uh, to get help where the church was. So that's why you see in that picture over there that Mary's hanging above the detox right. um, that while there's been no religious affiliation wait, wait, um, wait, wait, wait. Uh, there's a building right there. You can see a little box on the roof uh, where Mary was. And Mary's in our conference room right now, that oh, exact okay. one. Um, nice. Uh, when I got there, she was just kind of stored away in a closet. And we we're like, we can't keep her in the closet. We got to put this in the conference room. But um, so no religious affiliation, but definitely tied to West Side Irish Catholic. Sure. Uh, those were most of the people we took care of um, over the 74 years we've been around. Right. So. And so 
the, the, the father, the priest started it to take care of these homeless mm-hmm. and longshoremen that came yeah. in. What was the treatment like back then? Back then it was a little, it was different, right? It was, you know, now we use a little bit of medicine and um, have a scientific method involved. But yeah. uh, back then it was really successive shots of whiskey, right? So everybody was a drinker back then. There was no drugs or synthetic drugs. We weren't mm-hmm. confronted by that the same way. Well, you know, opioids have always been around in some form or fashion. They had not been misused the way they are today. So back then uh, everybody came in, you got like three shots of whiskey, two shots of whiskey, one shot and a B12 shot and you got back on the boat. <laughs> that was a deal. Um, and they could stay there. If they stayed there, nobody could pay. Right. There was no yeah. money at the time. There was no Medicaid. There was no private insurance the same way. Um, so they would, the way Stella Maris survived for years until the early 90s when they got insurance um, or to be able to accept insurance and county contracts uh, was we had a repair shop on site and hmm. we would pick up broken appliances and mattresses, recondition them. Um, so every, the, the entire way that we ran was that the, the people we took care of would go out into the community and the old Selmaris truck do pickups around the city, repair it and sell it at two retail shops. One was on um, right next to uh, kind of where Bookhouse Brewing is on West 25th. And the other one was down on East Superior on the east side. And so through these two resale shops, it was all appliances and reconditioned mattresses. That's how Selmaris survived until, you know, probably in 91. That's crazy. I- yeah. I just read it on your website. You said that in the 1980s, early 80s, you had a $35,000 a year budget. Yeah. yeah it's changed it's wild. quite a bit. It's, yeah. uh, when our, our CFO, um, Carol Martin, who's been there since, probably 12 years now, when she got there, it was a, a $2 million budget. Um, and that was really at the beginning of the opioid epidemic when we were first starting to oh, see yeah. stuff happening. By the time I got here, it was a 4.7 in 2019. And today it's about 11.3. Wow. So it's been, there's just been so much growth and it's not been a business plan. It's purely been in response to community need. Wow. Um, so yeah, we do what we can. Can I ask a question? Sure. Cause I'm, I'm uh, very fascinated about the reselling. Is there a version of that that you guys still continue to do and carry that history of, getting things and repairing them. And so the, um, there is a translation for us. Um, it, it isn't as, um, linear as repair and mm-hmm. replace, but, uh, what we've had for a long, long time, because in those resale shops, it was our, it was early stigma addressing, right? It was mm-hmm. the opportunity to say, Hey, we're here. This is what we do. We're helping the community. We've always had a coffee shop. And so the coffee shop for us is where community and recovery come together and you address stigma. You have people in the same room where you don't know if they're, you might know if they're currently intoxicated, but you might not know if they have one day clean, if they have a year clean, if they have 30 years, or if they're not in recovery at all and know nothing about it. We have kids in there. We have families in there. We have a 120 seat auditorium on the back of the building or back of the coffee shop, which houses roughly 30 12 step meetings a week. So we are the hub for recovery in the community. So we have about 800 to a thousand, um, non clients on campus just for AA meetings a week. Um, and then we also have a community coffee shop where people are coming in from the neighborhood from all around. It's we open also, to yeah, the public. Everybody. Yeah. Yeah. I've gone in there a couple of times and after Daniel showed me, it's a very nice coffee shop. They have a barista in there that makes mm-hmm. anything you could ask for at Starbucks. And, um, and just a very pleasant environment just for anybody. I, mm-hmm. I think it's a great idea for anybody interested in, in learning about Stella Maris or promoting what Stella Maris does. 
and is in business and needs to be downtown, go have your coffee there. Thank bring you, your, yeah. Bring your business date there and have your meeting there. It's just a great place to, to be and you get everything you would get anywhere else and yeah. spread it, spread the good word while you're doing it. Thank you. Yeah, it's a neat place. We get a lot of people that come in to have their work meetings. A lot of attorneys meet with their clients at Stella Maris and at the coffee shop. Um, we get a lot of people that remotely work from there as well. We have free Wi-Fi, which every place has most of the time. But um, it's just a place where people want to be every chair you'll notice in the coffee shop faces another chair. It's very intentional that everything is conversation focused. We know the nature of addiction and substance use and misuse is uh, driven by isolation, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the goal of our coffee shop is connection. And so that's why every chair faces something else. There's everything hyper local. The pews and the booths are from the Byzantine church in Tremont. All the artwork is either by Bill Denahan um, who recently passed, um, or we did metal sculptures, metal artwork with the clients and the staff together up on the walls that mm -hmm. it does symbolize our, our appliance past our repair past. Cause there's like gears in it and it's very hard and, and very neat. Um, and then all the, the glass fixtures, um, were done by the glass bubble project on West 25th, which cool. uh, is really neat. And in our, our countertop, the bar top, I think is the, the most noteworthy part of the entire coffee shop. There's 6,000 recovery coins. You get a coin for one day, one month, two months, uh, all the way, I think up to 65 years, we have a coin in there. And these are mm. coins that people donated as we were doing it. Um, some of them we did have to purchase, but most of them are donated by staff or alumni. So it, this this coffee bar is literally built on the success of people in recovery. Oh, it's really, it's a beautiful cool. thing. It's cool. It is. And you can tell, being in there, you can tell a lot of love went into it. Yeah. I can't wait to check yeah, it out. Please Thank come you. and please everybody come <laughs> visit. It's a it's a neat place. It's a conversation starter. It's a, a safe place too. I mean, the nature of the clients we take care of, many of them have come from unsafe conditions. A lot of the women have been involved in human trafficking before mm -hmm. they come to us. So we have hours from eight in the morning till nine at night. Our busiest hour, which is weird for a coffee shop, is 6 p.m. Okay. Our highest sales volume is 6 p.m. And it's because it's a place people want to be, especially into the evening. It's safe. It's sober. There's always somebody to talk to. Mm -hmm. And so we wanted to make sure those hours reflected the population we took care of, which is safety needs to happen in the evenings when there's less less going on. Mm -hmm. So, Well, that makes sense. And for me, just for my purposes, uh, going to the coffee shop, there's free parking there. Mm -hmm. You can not You can find a place to park, which downtown, that's pretty yeah. impossible and um just there was virtually no tables were taken i mean there was maybe one other person mm -hmm. in there when i was there just music was on just a nice environment so yeah. now tell us the address so 1320 washington avenue okay. is the address and there's that's a bunch where the malachite so all this has been there i drive by this because yeah. they have that billboard right now with the prince right yeah Oh, yeah. on the side of the inner belt. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So ours so, is that area. Right? It's right there. Yeah. So if you take a right onto Washington, mm -hmm. um, and then you continue that Washington Winslow split, you stay on the Winslow side. It's right on your left, and wow. it's underneath our. You'll see it says Stella Maris Coffee Shop with a blue awning. Um, we've got nice outdoor seating, not for the weather right now, but uh, mm -hmm. in the summer months, and it's just a. A neat place to come together. It's been there a long time. The coffee shop actually predates the current coffee shop. I believe there's been a coffee shop on site since the 50s. Hmm. And the way it used to exist was at the back of the garage. We had a two-door garage that you can actually see on there. Um, a two-door garage where there was always a coffee pot. 
right? That coffee and AA go hand in hand, right? <laughs> Recovery and AA yes, are super intertwined. And so there was always... And construction. It, coffee goes with construction. There you go. True. There you go. And so at the back of this garage where they did all this appliance repair was a coffee pot and chairs, and that's where the first meetings were going on, right? We actually predate hmm. uh, Rosary Hall, which unfortunately is now closed, but um, Rosary Hall we predate by... Four years. Oh. We're actually the oldest treatment center in all of Ohio, and we're the oldest detox and sober house nonprofit in the entire U.S. Um, wow. Going back and, and reading about it, I mean, we were so tied to early recovery that it was happening at a time when that was not okay. Mm-hmm. Admitting that there was an issue was not okay. It still is a struggle today for so many people. Right. Um, and so it's it's neat to know that. Those seven founders, Otis Winchester, were brave enough to do something that they saw a need for uh, at a time when it was not talked about, not mm-hmm. okay, um, and really hidden. So there were seven. Were, the, were all seven working in the center? No, no. They were really the original board members. Okay. Uh, and when you walk into our coffee shop on the right is a picture um, uh, of all of them, a caricature photo of all seven. Cool. Um, and I think they all came from different industries. There's early plain press articles about who had been involved. And, um, there is some people from real estate and construction it just all over. So yeah. uh, it was a really, they, they all knew each other from AA and that brought everybody together. So the, the, the model back then was to wean people off their alcohol with progressively smaller doses a day. Yeah. And um, tapped into some spirituality and go on your way. You know, yeah. go back home. That's what it was. Go back home, go to work, do the things you know how to do. Um, we'll get you off the alcohol. Yeah. You figure out the rest. What kinds of services do you do today? Uh, well, we're actually really unique to the region um, in that we're the only treatment provider um, downtown and in, in, in Cleveland that has every level of care on one block. Um, so we have every a level of care from inpatient detox, which is where we really started um, with housing, um, which is medical stabilization. We don't consider that treatment. That's really a hospital, like medical stabilization. It's one level b- below what you'd see at a hospital like University Hospital Cleveland Clinic. So okay. um, that, and then we have inpatient residential treatment, which is considered reha- your rehab, which is 30 to 45 days inpatient, uh, very clinically intensive, medically intensive mm-hmm. Um and then you'll step into housing and outpatient. And so we run a partial hospitalization. That name is confusing, but it's really five day a week outpatient care, six to eight hours a day. And that's okay. very clinically intensive and medically managed. Um, they'll be in there for uh, yeah. usually two to three weeks. So the first thing you mentioned, which was medical stabilization, mm-hmm. do people stay there full time, 24 hours a day? Yeah. So it's inpatient and it's usually on average six days. Okay. Right? So if you need to get into treatment. This is for somebody who's physically dependent on either alcohol, opioids, or benzodiazepines, or Xanax, clonopin, uh, anxiety meds traditionally. Okay. Um, those are the three substances that if you try to come off of without, if you are physically dependent, which means if you go without it, you get sick mm-hmm. or have symptoms. Um, those are the three substances that can lead to fatal outcomes. Um, benzodiazepine and alcohol, if you have physical dependence and you just stop, you can have respiration issues, you can have a heart attack. Um, any number of things can happen after you've had long-term chronic use that leads to dependence. Hmm. Um, and then opioids are unique. Um, and not enough people know, in my opinion, know how dangerous it is because the reason so many places can't 
won't take you if you are on opioids is the withdrawal from opioids will not kill you. You can go and you'll be in opioid withdrawal. You feel like you're going to die. You yeah. feel like you're going to crawl out of your skin. It will not kill you. What will kill you is the relapse because oh. your threshold changed and you go to a different dealer and they make it differently. They cut it differently with all the synthetics, all the things on the market. Now you go back out first time you use, you overdose and die. Yeah. So the risk with opioids is not necessarily with the withdrawal, which you feel awful. Mm -hmm. um, it is the relapse potential associated with feeling so terrible because you feel in the depths of despair. So you need that fix to get rid of the symptoms. You're not trying to feel high. You're trying to get rid of the bad oh. physical dependency with opioids is not about the high anymore. It, it is truly about survival. It feels like I need this to survive because I cannot go in the depths of despair that I'm going to experience in withdrawal. Jeez. It, it's a whole different thing. Yeah. So those folks stay for six or so days and mm -hmm. just try to stabilize their bodies, basically. Yeah, yeah it depends. And, and, you know, everyone comes in with a different level of medical acuity, right? Mm -hmm. So you might have somebody who's diabetic, that's an alcoholic, that is a really unique case and challenging um, because they aren't a typical five-day alcohol detox. Maybe they need to be there for 10 days as we stabilize their vitals. Yeah. Um, so we have doctors on site every day. We have 24-hour nursing care. Um, it really is a medical facility sure. and it's been on that block in that area for, you know, 75 years in 2023, it'll be our 75th anniversary. Um, and people don't realize how essential it is. You cannot engage in treatment until you've been medically stabilized because the likelihood that you experience all those symptoms that keep you disengaged mm. or the triggers, the, the cravings, all the things associated with it are so intense and unmanaged that the rate of success for people who haven't been through detox going into treatment is very low. Yeah. So that's why it's an essential step in the process. Makes sense. Yeah. Can I bring something up? Sure. I mean, so I, I don't know if this would be called a stigma, but a gateway is prescription drugs, mm -hmm. you know, right. You know, people get surgeries for their knees and we're talking to, you know, men in construction right yeah. now, you know, and they have opioids coming through. What type of drug prescription drug are you seeing that people that are leading to this? I think it's important to mention yeah. that that's, I think it depends. Um, you know, I, the, I, I think historically it was Oxycontin, right? Like that mm -hmm. was the, the thing that set off the opioid epidemic, but really any opioid based pain pill. And there's a lot of different names for them now. Um, most doctors, because of the opioid epidemic, you'll see are pretty shy about prescribing opioids. Mm -hmm. They're far more likely to say, take this Tylenol, take this Motrin. Um, <clears throat> so there has been a change in pre prescribing tendencies. Um, used to be super liberal. I had it. So. I had that surgery you get as a male when you're done having kids yeah. before the opioid ep epidemic was publicized. And, and the doctor gave me like 30 days oh. worth of pain pills. Just, I don't know if he didn't want to see me again or what. <laughs> <laughs> I had the, the same exact situation happen and they gave me two Tylenol and said, you'll be fine. Use ice. Yeah. Right? So and, uh, you're a little so, younger than me. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but, um, so it's, yeah, it's changed dramatically. I mean, the dentist, right, often was a gateway. The oral health piece is so important too. So it's not just injury on job site. You know, a lot of our clients, you know, were wrestlers, football players, you know, got injured along the way, maybe used. People have different responses to opioids, and that's important to know too. Some people use them and get sick, can't do it. Other people use it and it fits. Mm -hmm. It just works and it works well. And opioids, 
in their medicinal format can be very effective. We've actually had an overcorrection in the market where uh, people who are truly chronic pain clients have really struggled to have their needs met because of the opioid epidemic because it scared everybody from prescribing anything that could resemble an opioid that that might lead to a lawsuit later on because they prescribed inappropriately. So mm-hmm. um, I think prescribing practices, especially in the state of Ohio, have really been um, – openly discussed for a number of years. The state of Ohio is pretty um, ahead of its time in, in how it conceptualizes making sure behavioral health care is available for everybody. Beautiful. Makes sense. Yeah. So, I, so I took about two weeks of that and I realized, oh my God, I, I, I like this stuff. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I had to get rid of the rest of it. I was like, this yeah. is dangerous. Yeah. But um, I can see, especially if you're in chronic pain from a back injury or something yeah. physically that you're doing, especially with our trades, Oh my gosh. See how it's easy. Yeah. And I mean, think of the just longevity associated with the trades. I mean, we've had so many carpenters, you know, cause they're on their knees, they're crawling. It, you break down, mm-hmm. right? The arthritis associated with those trades when you get in your forties and fifties and sixties, most of the time, uh, those are the people that we're seeing not only uh, start with opioids, but alcohol, right? They're taking yeah. a pill. It helps. But then at night to go to bed, cause they're in pain, they have a drink before they go to bed. And it works with the pillar. It works with benzodiazepine, right? So, like, there's there's this interwoven uh, kind of we would call it a cocktail, a different kind of cocktail than some others may be used to. But that yeah. that polysubstance use that that can lead to dependence and and fatal overdose interactions, really. Hmm. So then you have the uh, rehabilitation, the traditional mm. residential rehabilitation. Yeah. Are yeah. those people there all the time or mm-hmm. do they come and go? They are. They're there all the time. Right now we're doing, and that was part of the opiate settlement that helped establish this program, which was incredible because Cuyahoga County was the first county in on the opiate settlement. So mm. uh, it allowed us to build a residential treatment program. We started it in beta, in a beta test mode for 12 identified males. Uh, we're also a uh, little unique in that we uh, have a significant LGBTQ plus track throughout the levels of care to make sure we're accessible to everybody mm-hmm. and that safety is at every front door. So um, we do 12 identified males that we take care of in this setting. It will go to 35. We purchased a, the former Matt Talbot Inn on the St. John Cantius uh, church property in Tremont, um, which had some public bids go out last month and just came in over budget, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. So that, that's in a holding pattern. We're waiting for um, to do another public bid for that project. It's a really neat landmark building that's going to be um, a 35-bed inpatient residential treatment program on Professor Avenue in the heart of Tremont wow. that will be the region's first all-gender inpatient residential treatment program. So really focused on citizenry, that everybody that comes in that door creates space and safety for everybody else that comes in that door. If you're not willing to do that, you're not coming in. Right. Mm-hmm. It's part of the deal. Mm-hmm. Continue to grow. That's good to hear. Yeah. What does it take to accommodate the LGBT community in this setting? Um, Safety and conversation. Yeah. Right. We have to have informed, educated clinicians and staff um, because, you know, you're only regardless of the population you care for um, any specialized population, any any vulnerable population you're only as good as your weakest link, right? And so that ultimately is the organization's job, my job to make sure that everybody has adequate training, everybody understands the values of the organization, um, and that we're communicating regularly, the supervision, the oversight, the checking people on what they're, uh, the words they use, because it may not be, I think very often we run into you, you may 
maybe don't believe what you're saying or you, you don't fully understand the words you're using and mm. the damage that oh, it can have. Not even realizing um, what you're doing. Exactly, yeah. right? Not necessarily malicious, sometimes it is, but um, mm. not necessarily malicious, just uninformed. So our job is really um, to quarterback a culture of accountability mm. and make sure that we create safety at every door. And so, and that's in partnership with the LGBT, LGBT center. They've come in, they've walked our halls. They're a part of our Tremont project where we're going to say, how do you create space? And this is not just for the LGBTQ plus community. Mm -hmm. This is also to make sure that the people that come into our setting have people taking care of them that look like them, sure. that come from the neighborhoods that they come from. We are a very diverse treatment center and very unique in that way. Um, and so there has to be an emphasis for us as, as employers to make sure that we, the people we hire are reflective of those we care for. Um, and so safety is not just LGBTQ+, although it, that is an essential component of what safety looks like on our campus, but it's also making sure that we are equitable and accessible to every corner of our community. Right. Makes sense. So you mentioned your staff. What what, what's your staff size and what kinds of professions are on your yeah. staff? Uh, well, we're at, uh, when I got there, we had 64 employees and no HR department. So we were figuring <laughs> it out. Uh, today we're at about 130 employees. Okay. Um, we are mostly nurses, RNs, LPNs, um, clinicians, social workers, uh, a lot of frontline, incredible staff doing um, kind of your technician role, your medical assistant, your um, resident advisor, the people that are with the clients 100% of the time um, doing really incredible work. So um, there's um, a number of different roles. We have a significant um, kitchen operation as well. We do workforce development with the barista training program in the coffee shop, but we also do it in a culinary program in the kitchen. Um, so uh, we, we serve about 3000 meals a week out of our kitchen wow. and take, we feed alumni, we feed our staff, we feed our clients. Um, Cause we really want, we know people get well in, in relationship. Right. So we really want it to be an activated space. Um, and then additionally, what, what I think is really unique is we have um, something we call the dorm and it's, uh, I, it's identified male supportive housing, which isn't what a sober house is, which is people on their own. Maybe they have a house father or house mother, wherever they are. Um, it is staffed 24 hours. So it's kind of that step up. Uh, we're really unique in that we kind of uh, pioneered that model. And so we have a 46-bed um, supportive housing unit for identified males on our campus. We have 18 um, for identified females nearby St. Malachy. Um, and then another 20 on, you know, down West 25th. And so in that setting, we have what's called a therapeutic community, which is really unique. It's kind of an old prison model, hmm. um, but it's a, it's a self-governance structure. So when you come to Stella Maris, uh, unfortunately, you'll see that there are a ton of smokers, right? Mm -hmm. People have a, we'll get to that attitude about it, right? Yeah. Let's deal with the addiction piece right. and we'll deal with that addiction. Right? Yeah. Let's just deal with the one that's going to kill me right now. And then we'll deal with the one that might kill us later. Um, and so the therapeutic community has an entire hierarchy and structure. So from the moment you come in, whether it's in the identified male or female side, um, you have a role, a purpose and responsibility from day one. Um, so they self-govern, 
there is a role for staff in that, but we want to create self-sufficiency. We want you to know how to work within hierarchy. We want you to know how to report, how to resolve, how to have resiliency. Yeah. And so all of that works within the structure. So part of it is rotating through the kitchen. Part of it is cleaning up. Part of it is making sure the forms are printed that everybody's working on. Everybody has a role at Stella Maris, whether they're client or staff. And so it's all interwoven and it's, it's, wow. we, we say our campus is alive. It's got a pulse. You can feel it when you're there because everybody is there and that, it's a big deal. And take some major foundational and continuing leadership. Yeah. It's to a make neat that place. all keep going. It's a neat place. I mean, they've been building this for a long, long time. I'm fortunate enough just to be a part of it now. That's awesome. Um, so December 16th is today. We're in the holiday season. Yeah. Does that mean anything to you guys and your clients? Yes. Um, it means a bunch of different things. One, it means people don't get help mm-hmm. in real time because they think they have to stay with their families, you know, because they have that idea of, I can't leave to do this because yeah. it's the holidays. Yeah. The best present you can give your family is stability, right? Resiliency. Mm-hmm. Teach them that when there is something that needs work, you do it. Um, so we find that a lot of people don't come into treatment even though they need it. So January 1st, when you get that, like our goals for the year, you get a mad rush at our front door. Uh, right. But, yeah. um, people tend to be a bit more, uh, gun shy about coming in right now, um, which ends up ruining a lot of people's holidays. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we also have to really focus on our community that is there and make sure that it is a time worth being there, right? We're right. celebrating, we're having our sober holiday parties, we're having events and, and things going on so that people recognize that you can have fun in recovery, right? That's a yeah. lot of people's worst fear is that if I don't have this, how am I gonna have a good time? Right. I'm not gonna have fun without being drunk or high or whatever. Uh, so they're really um, learning how to have a lifestyle that doesn't involve a substance. Um, so that's really what we do. We try to really surround them with, um, just joy, mm-hmm. give out stockings, you know, it's a whole thing um, that happens on the campus. So the spirit of the holiday is certainly alive and well. Yeah, that's awesome. Uh, so we obviously here, we represent employers, mm-hmm. a lot of con- construction employers. Do you ever interact with employers? Yeah, um, not as often as you'd think, um, because so many people know that we're there. Because, I mean, where else do you get a treatment center that's taking care of people's grandfathers, right? Like yeah. there's this unique history and legacy to it. Um, we have worked with employers many times over the years, especially the unions um, and construction employers who will just drop them off at the door. Yeah. And we love those relationships. I mean, that is absolutely a give and take where they understand uh, we have a role, they have a role, they stay tapped in. That's the coolest thing about working with the employers is we've never worked with an employer that didn't care um, and just dropped somebody off and walked away. If they dropped them off, they want to know they're okay. They want to show yeah. back up. They want to pick them up when they're well. Uh, they want to keep that job there right. when they get well. Um, and so it's it's really neat to see that. We would love to have more of that Um Honestly, you know, from a small nonprofit standpoint, the bandwidth to navigate working with some of the employers has been challenging over time because we just don't have a person that we say, this is the person who works with employers. Right. Right. We have, did you get that phone call? Did you get that phone? You know, we try to spread it as much as we can. So, um, you know, we have Kelly Wall, our director of development, who's great at that. Antoinette Whitaker, our director of admissions, who's uh, incredible. So um, I think we have the team in place to be able to build those relationships with employers. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's historically been very informal. Sure. It makes sense though. Um, 
so with 120 staff in the medical profession and mm-hmm. um i imagine with inflation like it is yeah. I mean, what's that doing to you guys imagine there's plenty of competition for their yeah for their time yeah we um we have run into a very difficult time it's actually the first time in probably 30 years where they're looking at a deficit where we're looking at a deficit um we've been working on it diligently every day um since uh, for a while um mm-hmm. but what we ran into is when the covid um stuff was happening the first um vaccine clinics the nursing pay was going four times what they could get hourly if not higher Goodness. so they could go to arizona for a week and make what they would earn with us in a year they could it was wow. wild and so <laughs> it, things are starting to come back down to earth now but um we certainly have had a hard time keeping people, uh, attracting people because we're a community health organization. Yeah. We're not going to be able to have the benefits or the, the hourly wage of the hospital would. And so, um, it is definitely challenging. There's obviously other inflationary challenges associated with, uh, all the supplies we use, all the food, everything like that. Sure. So, um, that's why, you know, this, this check makes all the difference, right? Every little bit helps. Every yeah. little bit makes it a significant difference. We had significant union support for um, Stella Fest last year, which was incredible, uh, unexpected, but incredible. And and literally every dollar makes a difference because we are, not only are we the oldest treatment center, but since day one, our mission has been to take care of anybody regardless of their ability to pay. Mm-hmm. So while most people are on Medicaid or at private insurance, if somebody shows up and we have a bed available and they don't have a means to pay for it, we will take care of them. We don't wow. turn anybody away. Good. And and ultimately that costs money. Right? Sure. And so all the support we can get from the community um, really is what helps drive uh, the stability and sustainability of that mission. Um, but we um, have definitely been impacted by the inflationary pressures and the COVID associated pressures. So we do what we can. We've mm-hmm. been able to grow. We actually left for the pandemic. Most of us, you know, 50% of our workforce went home. The other 50% had to stay in direct service. Right. Um, we actually grew from 85 employees to 130 during the pandemic, which was shocking. You know, most people were not growing yeah. at that time. And unfortunately we were. Yeah. Right. So um, we saw people relapsing that had 30 years clean. We saw people coming in just from loneliness, probably just isolation. They couldn't go to their meetings. Their meetings were shutting down. Yeah. Right. Or going to Zoom and Zoom is a wonderful evolution for people to stay connected. But when you're used to showing up to that meeting, having a cup of coffee with somebody, having a walk down the street afterwards, going Mm. to the Stella Maris coffee shop and that shut down. Yeah that isolation is overwhelming. So we not only saw people in long-term recovery relapse and we saw them dying. Um, mm-hmm. And we also saw people that were our typical admission dying left and right, because what ended up happening, which I think you'll see in the news quite a bit to talk about synthetic, synthetic opioids, mm-hmm. that didn't just happen. That was going on before that's been around for, it predates the opioid epidemic. What happened is the opioid epidemic or the, the COVID crisis um, shutting down supply chains eliminated pure heroin. Oh. So we could not get pure heroin on the street. So people started using crystal methamphetamine and they started using synthetic opioids that they could order online. And so what was coming in was synthetic opioids and meth, which is all we're seeing today. People are dying left and right at faster rates than we've ever seen 
from the synthetic opioids. The synthetic opioids are in everything. On the east side, especially in some of our predominantly African-American communities, uh, we had clients that were historically cocaine users, mm-hmm. right? That doesn't require detox. There is no physical dependency associated with cocaine. It's more habit forming. And there is, you know, some symptoms when you stop taking it, but uh, it's it's not deadly. Um, it will be uncomfortable, some sweating and uh, anxiety and things. But um, what we saw was that community was showing up at our door say, in in clear withdrawal. Hmm. And they said, I'm using cocaine like this is. And their drug screen was testing positive for everything, uh-huh. all 12 things on a drug <laughs> panel. So they had meth in their cocaine. They had synthetic opioids. So Just carfentanil. a dirty cocktail, huh? Yeah. Jeez. It was fentanyl, carfentanil. They had Oof. and people that are taking meth that just think they're taking meth have fentanyl in their meth. People that are smoking weed, they're showing up oh my fentanyl God. in their weed, which is why the fentanyl test strips that they just had the house bill to like uh, decriminalize. Um, honestly, where we need those fentanyl test strips the most is on college campuses where they think they're taking a pill. Mm-hmm. The rates of pressed pills that look like a prescription are through the roof and they're incredibly dangerous. And that's why so many people are dying as well. You buy a pressed pill that is to some degree, whatever you think it might be, but it's also pressed with fentanyl mm. and their body has no tolerance for fentanyl or carfentanil and they're dying instantly right away. One pill. Yeah. And so on these college campuses, we really need, and, and just in, in high schools and all over, we need these fentanyl test strips everywhere because it, uh, we're not going to eliminate people trying to use something to feel something. Right. That is the human condition. Right. What we do need to do is create safety and conversation and decrease stigma and increase access to education and information so that they can make informed decisions. They can get help when they need to. And they know what they're taking. Right. Right. It's it's scary. I'm also a root type of girl. I mean, like, where is all this stuff coming from? (laughs) Like, I. What's the root cause? Yeah. And like, where are these. these drugs coming from most of the are these street drugs are these like through the pharmacy like i don't understand this is not pharmacy based stuff this is not a pharmacy issue (laughs) this is uh, nearly all the synthetic opioids are coming in through china um Mm -hmm. and if they're not coming through china they're coming through mexico from china Hmm. so china is using mexico yeah so and then deal through the streets Mm -hmm. is that yeah and and there's this uh, crazy thing going on as well. And this is not new, I'm but sorry, Tim, <laughs> I go deep. In, in our world, this is normal. This sounds abnormal to everybody else. And I get that before I say it, when uh, somebody dies, the people that are actively using will seek out their drug dealer. Oh, they cause it was want, good stuff. They think that they can tolerate it. Wow. They think that there was something just about that person's tolerance that led to the overdose death, but they will seek out the drug dealer that has the stuff that killed somebody because of the yeah. invisibility associated with their, their active using. They think that they know how to use it responsibly. Everybody who struggles with addiction is a pharmacist. Oh, yeah, they think they're uh, a pharmacist, right? Yeah. They know it all. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're, they're frankly, um, most people that are struggling with addiction are exceptionally talented and intelligent and capable. And it comes in all forms, right? It could be the attorney downtown, the doctor, or the person who has been homeless for three months walking the street, right? It, it touches everybody and every family. Yeah. Well, this has been very informative. Um, yes, if someone needs your help or if someone's relative or friend needs your help, how do they get a hold of you? Well, I would say first things call us, you know, that's the most important piece. Our phone number is 216-781-0550. That's 216 
888-500-0550. You can also find us at stellamariscleveland.com. Uh, when you call, you'll hear there's an answer guide. Um, you press one for detox admissions. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you can get your questions answered there too, right? We um, kind of serve as a central pivot point for the community. We take in way more calls than people we take care of. So we That's end true. up referring out far more than we can care for. Um, our goal right now is to get into Tremont, build those beds, add detox beds on our campus. We need money to do so. Mm-hmm. We're not in a position with the cost of nursing. We can't afford to expand at a time when our wait list today is 140 people just for detox. Whoa just for detox. And we try to refer them other places. They won't go. Many people will not go. Many people wait until they can get into Stella Maris. I know you've been there, but I'd love to have people out. Come see it. If you don't know about it, come visit, see what we're doing, understand what it is, understand what it looks like. Because what we've built at Stella Maris, what has been built over time is not your, you know, the, the treatment center that most people would think of under the bridge. Well, we love being under the bridge. We like that. Um, it is a place that is focused on dignity and experience where everything needs to be uh, emphasizing next step, moving forward, taking care of people. We have facilities that we want people not to think about where they are, but the work that they're doing. So a lot of time and money has been put into the physical space. Mm-hmm. So that it's a place worth being. Yeah. And that's a big deal. So. And for, for folks that want to support you, how do they, how do they do that? Well, you can find online at stellamariscleveland.com. There's a donate button, a way to do that. Um, please come to the coffee shop. That's a huge way to support us. It, it is our, I can't wait to check I, it out. I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Our year end campaign has just gone out as well. Um, so really any form of support you, we obviously monetary support goes a long way in kind donations go a long way as well. We clothe, um, nearly all of our clients, many of them, when they move out of our setting, that t- people are typically with us for five to six months, okay. which is also unique. Um, people do better, have better outcomes the longer they're in treatment. Um, so once they leave us, they usually go into sober housing or get apartments. So anything that also helps them do that next thing. Household makes items, a clothes, yeah. boots. Yeah. Makes a- sense. And the other thing too, for all the employers come talk to us, right? We have 86 housing beds. We take care of usually about 200 people any given day. They are either just out of the workforce or will be rejoining it as part of their treatment program. We have people that want to work that are exceptionally talented. Many of them come from the trades Mm -hmm. um, who are ready as a part of their outpatient treatment while they're living with us to start entering the workforce again. So we have people, we'll have, you know, trucks pull up in front of Stella Maris, landscaping companies, people hopping in, day labor that they're going Hmm. to do. Um, But we also have a really great relationship with the stagehand union, right? So downtown, they'll go for all the events at Rocket Mortgage. So um, our clients are usually very union driven and involved as well. Um, So if there is an employer that's interested in building that relationship, uh, we would be happy to have that conversation anytime. Oh, that's cool. And and you can reach out to me or Kelly Wall, uh, which is kelly.wall at stellamariscleveland.com or my email address is dlk at stellamariscleveland.com. And I don't know if it can be put with the podcast. But yeah. yeah, I'll put it on the show notes. Great. How do you pronounce your last name? Daniel? Lettenberger Klein. Lettenberger. Yeah, it was not, it, 
so my last name was Klein and my wife's was Luttenberger and we got married and because we're both therapists, we had to <laughs> have something that looked like an equal power differential. So when our, we had kids, it would look like, you know, mm. one was not more important than the other. There was no dominant. It was the whole thing. So that's how this happened. <laughs> Are you Klein? Yeah, I'm Klein. No, and okay. She's Luttenberger. Okay. And we both put it together. Yeah. That's I cool. Love it. Well, Latinos do that. You know, yeah. Rosario Rivera. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Thanks a lot, Daniel. Thank you for having me. This has been wonderful. Happy holidays. Uh, thank you. You too. Thank you for the work you do. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To find more information about the discussion in this or prior episodes, be sure to check the episode notes section in your podcast app. Get notified and automatically download the latest episode by subscribing to the Construction Employers podcast in the iTunes Store or in Google Play. This podcast is brought to you by the Construction Employers Association. Find us on the web at www.ceacisp.org.